Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. These work these weeks are heavy. I mean, so much news. It used to be comforting to sit in a chair, turn on the TV set, and watch the daily news. Now we've got so many things in one day because of Donald Trump, obviously. Uh, it's tiring. It's hard to keep up. But this is the news of the day, and we must know about these things. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Donald tonight, and I'm going to talk about some other things, too. Uh, we're going to have an interesting trip this evening. Uh, let me say first before I get into where we're going, last week you tuned in. I wasn't there. Not my fault. Sometimes I screw up, but uh, the platform we work off of had mechanical difficulties. I don't sign in until 10 minutes to 9 or 5 minutes to 9. I'm all set up. I know what to do to get in, and I'm in in 30 seconds. I couldn't get in. I called Sloan, and she found out they were having technical difficulties. I was going nowhere. So I apologize. Uh, It aggravates me because... Most of the material that I prepared for last week, I can't use this week because it's stale. It's old news. So I had to do, you know, do the whole routine again today. I'm glad we're together, though. And we're going to go tonight to Washington, Syria, Turkey, Iran. Oh, my God, Russia, the Northwest United States, British Columbia, Arctic Klondike. You're going to love the Arctic Klondike. Mexico, Poland. Australia, Italy, and the United Kingdom. Okay, I want to start first with, there's so many big items going on. This is one of the big ones. It involves Turkey and Syria and the president of Turkey, Erdogan, and our dear president, Donald Trump. And it shows you what a mess world leaders make out of things because of their uh, idiosyncrasies, their personalities, they don't like being snubbed. Here's what happened, as I understand it. You recall a week ago we had a three-day conference at the United Nations. All the countries of the world show up, and everybody makes a speech and all that kind of stuff. And the presidents get together, prime ministers of various countries, and they meet. They may not meet for two hours. There's so many. They try to meet everyone, and I guess Trump never met with the president of Turkey, Erdogan. So he was embarrassed. You don't meet with me. That means you don't think much of me, and you're the president of the United States, purportedly the strongest or one of the strongest countries in the world. Screw you, okay? So somehow they have a telephone conference this Sunday night, two days ago. I don't know who called who. Uh, I, I sense it was Trump calling him, but I'm not sure. Trump, I believe, got word that uh, Erdogan was mad at him, et cetera, so they're on the telephone. And that's the story of what happened. I don't know if they talked about, you know, you snubbed me, in effect. Uh, Whatever that problem was, that's resolved, because it was was announced today that in October, Erdogan is coming to the White House for a meeting with Donald Trump. So they're happy. He's happy, the president of Turkey, uh, Trump does not negotiate well with presidents of other, or leaders of other countries. He did a hell of a job, didn't he, with Kim Sung-un in North Korea? He just doesn't have it. 
He, Putin makes an ass out of him. Trump thinks his charming personality is going to captivate and capture over everyone, and everybody's a good guy. They're going to listen to him because he's Donald, and he's smarter than everybody else. And he always walks away with nothing. The only thing he's achieved in two and a half years, he cut taxes. He said we were going to cut them for the middle class. He didn't. He cut them for the very rich. You know it, and I know it now. And we knew it before, but we believed him. Many believed him. I didn't believe him. I never believed him. Anyhow, uh, I read somewhere some reporter said that Trump got, and I quote, rolled, okay, by Erdogan. Uh, in any event, they decided, or Trump told them in the telephone conversation Sunday night, and you have to understand, the CIA, uh, the FBI, Department of State, uh, Homeland Security, uh, all the people that should have been discussing what I'm going to talk about now, he discussed with no one. He did something again off the top of his head, and he agreed in this telephone conversation Sunday night to pull all U.S. troops off the border with Syria. Uh, Turkey's on the northeast border of Syria, and in that area in the northeast, they have been protected by the Kurds. The Kurds are part of Syria. Uh, there are three basic groups in Syria, and the Kurds are one of them. And, and the Kurds are good people. They have proven themselves over the past several years. Uh, we have been there to help the Kurds and to help the Kurds fight ISIS because ISIS is the reason we went several years ago to uh, Syria to fight the ISIS who are there and there are bad enemies today they are the worst and the, we, we did a good job we went there to help the Kurds now let me tell you what help was we sent 1,000 troops today we only have 1,000 troops there we don't even have that much today because most of them left yesterday but 1,000 troops and they really were there, they're there to fight a little bit, but really they're there to help, to train, etc. And the Kurds have done a hell of a job uh, with the situation, and they helped to defeat ISIS. Okay, very simple. However, ISIS is still strong if you take the 1,000 American troops out of there. Uh, and if that's the case, then what's going to happen is ISIS is going to get stronger, uh, the game plan is there's a jail there that has 11,000 ISIS prisoners. They're going to be let free. This is all part of the deal, okay? And they're going to go out and they're going to kill the Kurds and their families. They all live together, their families and the soldiers, the Kurds over there. Now, Turkey, Erdogan, he has wanted Syria forever. He has been fighting Assad. Now, Neither of them are any good. Erdogan is an authoritarian figure, a nationalistic figure, just like Donald Trump. Uh, Assad, I think, is worse than Donald Trump. Assad has chemically killed his own people. I mean, this is a real bad man. Donald's only bad. This guy's real bad. Uh, in any event, he, he wants to get in there. Now, you have to understand, Iran and Russia are involved, too. They have been involved for several years. Uh, we, <laughs> we have been sending, we, we're over there with the troops in the north, 
north on the northeast border of Syria. Uh, we're, we're protecting the Kurds and helping the Kurds to keep Syria out, and we also help them to clean up ISIS. Not totally, but help clean it up. It's okay now. Uh, but it's not going to be if we leave and we have left. Uh, we send military equipment besides a 1,000 soldiers to uh, the Kurds to help them. But we have also sent to Assad in Syria military equipment. And Iran and Russia are working with Assad. They're working with uh, Erdogan. They're working with both countries. Everybody's a whore out here. And let me explain to you why everyone's a whore. Everyone wants the oil, the oil, the oil, the oil. Because Syria, Syria has a large supply of crude oil. In fact, they have, Syria is the only significant oil-producing country. I repeat. Syria is the only significant oil-producing country in the eastern Mediterranean region. And everybody wants the oil. Trump really doesn't care about the oil because we got the shale now and we're doing great. We export more than we import, et cetera, et cetera. But Russia wants it. Uh, Turkey wants it, okay? And Assad wants to keep it. And, of course, Iran wants it, too. Uh, and everybody's in bed with each other to some degree, which has always been strange in this war because Iran's our enemy, Russia's our enemy, uh, but this is the way it is. Now, everybody got on Trump's ass Sunday night and Monday morning. You can't do this. You can't withdraw the troops. And he, he on, himself, on his own volition got the troops to leave. They were already pulling out yesterday morning. Nobody's sure where they are right now our 1,000 soldiers. Not a hell of a lot, by the way. And so you can understand, you can understand that we, our boys and girls, are not in danger. And I think four years, do you know how many Americans have been killed in this Syrian ISIS uh, rat race? Four. We have only lost four Americans. Four too many. But that's all we've lost. We've got this thing down to a science over there. The problem is, once we leave, ISIS is going to grow. And when they grow, everyone says what's going to happen. Everyone knows what's going to happen. Uh, they're going to grow rapidly. They're going to have these 11,000 guys coming out of jail rapidly. And they're going to get the Kurds, because the Kurds are the ones that made sure they got cut back radically. And they're going to kill the Kurds and kill the Kurd families. They all live together. Now, they're all about, they all love to kill. I, I, I read somewhere today that between 450,000 and 600,000 people have been killed in this war so far. Uh, Turkey has only lost 97 uh, military persons, so they really haven't gotten hurt. It's within. It's been Kurds. It's been primarily uh, ISIS and other groups. Uh, but they're bad people. You have to understand bad people. I forget whether it was Assad. Uh, I think it was Assad. Uh, last year or the year before, somehow he got 800 children. All right? 800 kids that weren't Syrians. And he killed them all. He killed them all. He had them all killed. These are the kind of people we're dealing with, too. Okay. Now, that's the story so far. 
Trump's been backing off. He's been backtracking since Sunday night. And, uh, you know, he, he, he said the reason he really did this, uh, he thought it was time to remove the United States from, and I quote, ridiculous, endless wars, unquote. Well, this isn't the war he should have been worried about. We've only lost four people over there. Let's go to the wars where we're losing hundreds or thousands and worry about that first. But he took the easy way out, and he wanted to mollify and satisfy the guy who he hadn't paid attention to. And in effect, by what Trump did in ordering the pullout of our soldiers, he stabbed the Kurds in the back. He stabbed our friends in the back, okay? It's a shame. It's the only way it can be described. It is a shame. Now, Trump said yesterday in the afternoons, he had some uh, press meetings on this thing, and we're not sure where he is yet, but I think he's trying to stop the removal, or maybe he isn't. But at this time yesterday afternoon, he said, because he says, everybody's saying, oh, the, the, the Turkey's going to go in there, going to kill the Kurds, going to be massacres, oh, my God. He said, listen to me, and this is what Donald Trump said to the world yesterday if that event occurred, and I quote, he would totally destroy, this is Donald, totally destroy and obliterate Turkey's, okay, economy. He would totally destroy and obliterate Turkey's economy if it took unspecified off-limit actions. Whatever all that means, he's going to destroy their economy. And then he said, in that same speech, and I quote, and this was the title, this was part of my blog this morning, if Turkey does anything that I, in my great and unmatched wisdom, consider to be off-limits, then I'm going to destroy their economy, blah, blah, blah. So I titled my blog this morning, In My Great and Unmatched Wisdom. This is your president and mine. He is telling us that he has a great and unmatched wisdom. If any of you believe this, you're as crazy as him, and I'm talking to the Republicans now and the evangelicals also. You can follow him for whatever reason you want, but don't tell me you're following him because he has great and unmatched wisdom. So uh, let me say something else. This bothers me what he did, and it should bother you, and it's bothering the Republicans in Congress. Finally, they're saying he did this wrong, not one or two, a lot of them. Remember little Jack Horner? This reminds me of Donald Trump. Every time he does something that he thinks is terrific, I've written about this several times. Little Jack Horner sat in a corner eating his Christmas pie. He stuck in his thumb and pulled out a plum and said, what a good boy am I. Well, I'm sure Sunday night when Donald made this deal with Endrogen, I'm going to pull the U.S. troops out, you're going to come and visit me, et cetera, et cetera. He probably sat back and said to himself, what a good boy am I. He believes his own, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, ship. Okay, moving on. Okay, 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 okay. He doesn't, you know, my, my unmatched brilliance here, okay? My unmatched brilliance. In a press conference uh, last night or yesterday afternoon, uh, he wanted to wish the president of a particular country happy birthday. 
Yesterday was Vladimir Putin's 67th birthday. Vladimir Putin, his good buddy, 67th birthday. He got screwed up. When he was speaking, he says, oh, and I want to wish the president of Japan, Zinzo Abe, Zinzo Abe, a happy birthday. And then as a joke, he said he's 39 today. Well, it wasn't Abe's birthday. Abe's birthday was two and a half weeks ago. It was Putin's birthday yesterday. He can't even remember that. Uh, don't tell me he's got too many things on his mind. He should be able to remember simple things. Okay, now I want to talk about this. Trump told us. Okay, well, not Trump. I'll leave Trump out of this one. I want to talk about taxes. We keep hearing, and it's true, the rich in this country today pay lower taxes than ever before. A study came out. The 400 wealthiest persons, 400 wealthiest persons in the United States last year, 2018, paid a lower total tax rate. What am I talking about? Federal, state, and local combined paid a lower total tax rate than any other income group, which means the the wealthiest 400 paid less money, if any money, in taxes than the poor guy who makes $30,000 a year to take care of his family or fifty or 60000 even $100,000. Can you believe this? It's that bad. It is that bad. There was a time. And I can remember it. There was a time back in the 50s when uh, it was the other way around. I believe, I could be wrong on this, taxes for the rich were about 90%. Yes, 90%. I started working for a living as a lawyer in 1960. And I'm paying, when I started making money, I'm, 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 make, I'm paying, I'm paying, I'm paying 50% in federal taxes. And then I had 16% New York state taxes. They were high at the time. It was terrible, but this is the way it was. No one complained, and I always felt that I don't mind paying the taxes. If I make that much money, I'm glad I have to pay big taxes. At least I'm making big money, and I can take care of my needs and my family needs. Now, Bush 2 gets elected, and he said, I'm going to cut everybody's taxes. And he brought us down to 35%. And he said, as soon as I do, and he did it very quickly when he became president, I am going to send everyone a check, giving them back the difference in their taxes from either last year or this year that they paid between whatever the percentage was and the 35%. My numbers may be wrong, but it's dramatic. All I know, my friends, is I got a check for $75,000. I paid a lot in taxes, but I'm a piker compared to most people. Wild people had to be getting checks in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. If I got seventy-five thousand, it was wonderful, but we couldn't really afford it. But the Republicans always want to cut taxes. Now, I'm going to tell you an interesting story. I got interested last week in Trump's ancestors. In Trump's ancestors. So where does this guy come from? Where does he originate? Uh, for example, I know that my grandparents, my mother was born in Italy. My grandparents on both sides were born in Italy. I know what they did for a living. None of them did anything that made any money. But, you know, you know. You know your roots. And uh, I knew this before this, this game came out that you can buy and they tell you who, which, what your ancestry is and what percentage of your Italian, Polish, uh, and so forth. Uh, so 
I looked it up. It's hard to find anything before his grandfather. Hard, hard. I couldn't find much, or if anything, uh, before his grandfather. But his grandfather's there, and his grandfather's name is Frederick Trump, as opposed to Donald's father. Donald's father was Fred Trump. He's Americanized. But Donald's grandfather was Frederick Trump, and he was born in 1869. He died in 1918. He was German. He was born in Bavaria. He emigrated to the United States at the age of 16. The reason he left Germany at the age of 16 was Germany had compulsory military service. He did not want to go into the service, so somehow he got out of Germany and he got into the United States. He never had papers to leave Germany. He never had papers uh, to get into the United States, but he did. He is here illegally. Donald Trump's grandfather came here illegally. Isn't that wild? Anyhow, he comes here. He's got to make a living. The, the day after he got here, he became a barber. He never cut hair in Germany, but he had a, an uncle here who was a barber. He says, here's how you cut hair, and he cut hair, and that's how he made a living for several years. Now, good-looking guy, by the way, and he wanted to do good for his wife and his family. He had several children, and he wasn't going to make it as a barber, and he didn't want to be a barber. He wanted to be a businessman. So... started operating restaurants, restaurants, not in New York City, not in the East. He went out to the Northwest, first to Seattle. Now, he's there about 1880. It isn't the Seattle of 1890. It isn't the Seattle of today, obviously. I don't have to tell you this. It's the wild. It's the wild West. They don't even have streets. They have dirt. Uh, and they don't even have wood buildings in most towns. They're tents. So anyhow, he goes out there first to uh, the Seattle area, and he opens a restaurant, and he does good with the restaurant business, and eventually he adds on a hotel portion. He adds on a gambling casino, and he starts, he opens a house of prostitution. When his venture was first tents, uh, the prostitutes worked in the tents. Then when he built the two-story building, uh, the top floor was for the ladies, okay? He was a pimp. I'm not saying this to degrade him. I admire the fact the man became a pimp because he needed money. He was an immigrant. He was here illegally. He had to make a buck. He had a family to support, and he went out and busted his ass to do it. Uh, very impressive. Let me give you a little of his background here, because from Seattle he went to British Columbia, and then he went to the uh, to the Arctic, to the Klondike in Alaska. He followed the fellow when gold was found. He moved to that town right away and started his restaurant. I think in one place he made so much money in the first four weeks with the tents for the restaurant that he was able to build his building with wood at the end of four weeks. Anyhow, he was in. He started with tents in the restaurants, and then went to the wood structure. He's in Bennett, British Columbia. He opened the Arctic Restaurant and Hotel. Fine dining, lodging, and sex in the sea of tents. Uh, and, you know, the women would go from one tent to another. The men would go. And these guys got no women out here, by the way. He was really providing a service. by He brought the ladies in. He imported them. 
And he had a hell of a business going with the prostitution. Now, you have to understand, they weren't called whorehouses out in, the, out in this area in those days. They were not called whorehouses. They were not called houses of prostitution. They were called, and I quote, rooms for ladies. And that's, the guys knew that's where they had to go if they wanted sexual pleasures. Rooms for the ladies. Now, he built another place. This is going to blow your mind. This is the White House Restaurant and Inn on a railroad line between Skagway, Alaska, and White House in the Yukon. He served an average of 3,000 meals a day. Did you hear me? An average of 3,000 meals a day. He had gambling, okay? And, of course, he had rooms for the ladies upstairs. Uh, and it was even a bigger operation upstairs, the rooms for the ladies. Uh, he expanded it. Uh, I guess these guys were pigs or sexual deviates, the miners. And some of them wanted to have more than one woman at one time. Some of the guys wanted to party with several of the ladies at one time. So in addition to the isolated room, and by the way, the rooms were, they had a, a narrow bed. They weren't that big. And they had a small table. And on the table was a scale. And the purpose of the scale was these guys paid the prostitutes with gold nuggets. Everything was paid. The restaurant and everything else were gold nuggets. And so the girls would weigh the gold nuggets to make sure they were being paid enough. Anyhow, he built bigger rooms when up there where he's doing 3,000 meals a day. And these were called, I can't remember what the hell were they called. Uh, it was a different word than rooms for ladies. But in any event, they were bigger and multiples of both sexes played at the same time. He served, he serviced everyone, everything. Bloomberg's Business Week did an article on the grandfather at one time, and they unearthed an 1899 advertisement for the Arctic Restaurant and Hotel. Again, this is the one that did the 3,000 meals a day. And that, that, that was it. Now it comes to me. That was the restaurant, and in that article, the advertisement said they furnished not only rooms for the ladies, but furnished private boxes. They call these big rooms boxes, and I quote, for ladies and parties, for ladies and parties. But that meant he was pimping them out, these women. He got caught. He's an illegal alien. <laughs> like his, his grandson's throwing people out of the country. This poor guy's making all this money up in Alaska. He gets caught, and they send him back to Germany. Would you believe it? He got caught. He was sent back to Germany. Uh, he barbered a little bit in Germany to keep busy. He had enough money for everything. He couldn't buy his way back, but eventually he was able to come back into the United States uh, legally. He had papers now. He didn't go back to the, the Northwest. He didn't go back to Canada. He didn't go back to Alaska. Instead, he started buying property, real estate, in Queens. Isn't that wild? He started buying property in Queens. And that, my friends, is the story of Donald Trump's grandfather, Frederick. And again, I admire the way he made money. The guy had to do it. He had a family. And he was a businessman, and he capitalized on it. 
These things were illegal. By the way, the mounted police, I also read this as part of the history I read on him, the mounted police did not pay attention to the prostitutes in those days, to the prostitution business, nor did they pay attention to the gambling business, both of which were illegal, but they closed their eyes to it. And again, that's the story of Trump's grandfather. I want to talk quickly, because my time's running out, about rats in the White House. Rats in the White House, and I don't mean people. Last week, there was a press uh, in the press room. There was a meeting, and a baby mouse fell from the ceiling and landed in Peter Alexander's lap. Peter Alexander's a reporter for NBC, MSNBC. Uh, everybody panicked. They're running around the room to catch the mouse, or they're running out of the room to get away from the mouse. No one ever caught the mouse, and the last anyone saw, the mouse was running down a corridor to get the hell out. I assume there are rats and there are mice in this world, but I looked them both up, and I want to tell you, because I'm calling them rats, this was a mouse apparently, but rats are big in my mind, but when I looked it up, there are rats that are small and look like mice. So I titled this Rats in the White House, because our White House does have rats in it. And that's my show for the week. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, The grandfather's very interesting. I'm going to talk someday about the father which I'm sure will be interesting. Uh, I thank you for joining me again. I do a blog every morning, keywestlude.com. You should read it. If you enjoy this, read my blog. It only takes a couple of minutes. And, my dear friends, this is Louis Patron. I'm signing off. I trust and I hope you enjoyed the show tonight. It has been an interesting evening, at least from my perspective. And I thank you once again for joining me. Good night.